planet are you living on, Maggie? Certainly not this one. Things just don't work that way. If our society were to allow women to be like men, everything would fall apart. Our entire social structure would collapse. Women were meant to be loved and cherished. And in turn, well, if we have to give up some things, it's a minor sacrifice. Don't think you can beat the system, my child. You may think you can win, but in the end, you'll lose everything. Sooner or later, your husband will look elsewhere for the comfort you no longer provide him. Welcome to the Pink Smoke Podcast. I'm John Cribbs. I'm here with my co-host, Christopher Funderberg, and we are in the month of mandatory, the mandatory love month, government love month, February. And we decided because of that, for this episode, we're going to do a romance novel. Now, Chris, what is your experience with romance novels? Are you, have you ever read a romance novel before this one? I don't think I have. I was pushing really hard. I'm sure when I was like young and in college age, I probably tried to read but this is part of the reason we wanted to do this is we talk, uh, you know, about genre books on our book episodes of the podcast. And we were saying, you know, we should e- expand our, our horizons and do a romance novel because we don't know anything about it. It would be interesting to do. Uh, and I don't know that there's any reason why I haven't apart from there's no entry point. People don't talk about them, especially a lot of people in the book world don't talk about them to men it's very stoved piped you know in a way that's 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 also interesting to me at this point in time how really i have never ever once in my life had another reader say to me you should read this romance novel it has not happened once they don't even think to recommend them to me so that's so i said this would be what well where do we start and then you look up online and you and I were talking about this offline uh, before we started recording, how you'll look up a list of like 10 or 20 great romance novels. And uh, then you go to Wikipedia and they won't even have a Wikipedia entry. Like they'll be completely obscure. So it's also interesting to me because it is a neglected and disrespected genre in a lot of ways. You know, I think in the same way that melodrama and cinema gets neglected, uh, I think it has a sort of similar profile. You also see lists that are like 100 greatest romance novels, Wuthering Heights, Jane Austen. You're like, that's not what I'm talking about here. I need something a little more tawdry, something a little more beach read here. Is yeah, what I'm looking it's like for. if you saw 100 greatest crime novels and it's like crime and punishment on it. You know, exactly. that's like, that's not what I'm asking about here. Greatest detective novels. John, did you have any experience? None, none, none. whatsoever. To the so, point that it was hilarious reading this particular book because I would be, I got so embarrassed and scandalized. I'd run to my wife and say, oh my God, you won't believe what happened. And she would just say, you've never read a romance novel before, have you? This is all very par for the course of these kind of books. I will say the closest I've come is V.C. Andrews. Does that count as romance novels? It's certainly romance novel adjacent somehow, I feel like. Well, you know, I'd actually like our special guest to weigh in on that because I think that's an interesting question. It's time to introduce our guest because we had two things. We Number one, we needed to find a gateway into the romance novels since we weren't finding a great example. So what we did was we decided to read one by Kate Coscarelli, author of the Phantasm novelization and mother of Don Coscarelli, the writer and director of the Phantasm films. We decided to read her first book, Fame and Fortune, and to get a unique perspective on this whole topic, we decided to invite 
Melanie Daniels, the producer and co-host uh, of Cinema Parlor and the Arbitrary Indiscriminate Movie Podcast. Melanie, welcome to the show. Thank you guys so much for having me on. Thank you for sitting there during our incredibly <laughs> winded introduction. Yeah, I know. It was, I was thinking this is taking so much longer to get to the guest than normal. This is requiring more preamble. Now, you are, you, you are what why we thought of asking you, you post a lot of romance novel covers to your Twitter feed, certainly. Are you familiar with the genre? Or are you just a lover of the covers? Very familiar with the genre. I've read a ton. I'll read anything. Like I have no bar for what I'll read. I just love yeah. reading. So VC Andrews was my introduction into this whole world. And because those covers are so amazing. Yeah. And I do think classic romance novels their cover art is what drew me in. My mom had a ton of them. My mom was a very avid reader. And it's just, uh, yeah, this, if this was shocking to you, this is just the tip of the iceberg. It's, this is like <laughs> nothing, nothing at all. That's what I figured. Well, I let me don't ask know. you real quick yeah. with your mom, with your, with your mom collecting the books, because I'm just wondering just in terms of how these things are treated, would she like read one and then whoosh, you know, toss it out. I mean, did she have oh, like no, a no. whole, no, she, she had a whole, whole like shelf full of them? Yeah. Yeah. We're pack rats. Like I've got like every, I mean, you can't see the room I'm in, but it's just like every nook and cranny has a book in it. So, uh, no, we kept everything. I have a ton of her books that she's given me, but she's still, yeah, no, we keep everything. And when you were, did you read them when you were young and did she yeah. know you were reading them? Absolutely. Well, I did the thing where I was kind of like hiding away. Like I would like go in my room, read whatever and like put yeah. it back. And she's like, it's fine. Like you can, there was no, uh, like bar, like ban on what we could read any, yeah. if we were reading anything, nothing was off limits. So she was like, it's fine. I know you're reading it. It's fine. It's whatever. Yeah. Interesting. That's good. That's, <laughs> that's, that's interesting good too, because kind of, uh... I was just talking with Jordy and my wife today about, she was saying she'd seen something where someone said in our generation in the eighties and the nineties, uh, there was no real YA subgenre the way there is today. So you would basically go from reading Beverly Cleary to Anne Rice or Stephen King, you know, and yeah. we kind of thought that the the segue sort of the transition was VC Andrews, like that's sort of like the, what you would go through to go from, you know, young adult books to something more adult. Well, there's also yeah. the the like authors like Beverly Cleary who have the like books that are like Pro you're probably too old to be reading Beverly Cleary anymore once at like, you know, like you sort of progress with her too. There's a few that are like, oh, this is no longer kids books really with her that I think were sort of the birthings of the YA genre in some way. But also the YA genre now is heavily associated with women readers and not even girl readers, but like adult women readers too, which I think is is one of the the other things. Certainly I, my, I didn't read any V.C. Andrews until like, a couple years ago, but I remember going to like the library with my my girlfriends in high school or even middle school and having them describe the plots to me and me being like, what the fuck? You know, it's so and, wild. Yeah. Yeah. And that and so that was a lot of my that was a lot of my like reaction to this was like, this can't be like what they can't be actually like what's being described to me in some way. And so that's also sort of my curiosity about the romance genre is what the, what are these things actually, because they are sort of so critically disrespected and there's like nothing I trust less than a critic giving a bad review. Like they sort of go out of their way to distort and, uh, 
and poorly describe what something actually is in sort of an effort to, to take it down. And romance novels, I, I think, is there any genre in the arts as disrespected as romance novels? Do you think that there's anything that's as sort of dismissed, especially at this point when so many genres have been reclaimed as romance novels? Are you asking me? Yeah, I'm asked throwing it out in general. Probably, because I would even say I have a bias, even though I've read a ton, because there, there's some that are better than others for sure. But uh, I was hoping that you weren't going to ask me to recommend something for the show because like <laughs> I, I just don't, I feel weird because it's like I could pick something that's like just way off base, and you'd be like, well, we don't, we shouldn't talk about this. But <laughs> no, I think it probably is. It's probably definitely looked down upon. Yeah. And it hasn't had that kind of reclamation that so many genres have had, especially in film. It hasn't had that kind of reclamation. There's probably yeah, I was going to say my answer was movie novelizations, but they have been somewhat reclaimed by, you know, a certain set of people by saying, you know, those were actually art, you know, where some famous people worked on them, the people like Kate Coscarelli. Yeah. So shall we get into the, uh, let's do our, with every book, we do an aperitif pairing and a dessert pairing. So something to take you into it before you read it. And then when you're done after the, when the episode is over, we'll give it a dirt, we'll give a dessert pairing to, uh, to take you out, to top it off. Um, John, why don't you and I will go first and then we'll give our, our guest the third pairing for it. And then we can, uh, get into the book. John, what is your pairing to go with this, the aperitif pairing? So I almost panicked when it came time to pair something with this, just because I'm such a novice to this uh, subgenre, and I didn't know what it was like, what this kind of, what was like this book. And all I can do is kind of give what I guess would be an ironic answer in a way. It's John Waters' Polyester, a movie in which (laughs) Divine plays Francine Fishpaw, a housewife who suffers much like the women of this book. Her husband has a torrid affair and leaves her. She's tormented by a rich older woman. Her daughter gets pregnant, though not through incest, I should bring up. Uh, she's terrorized first by anti-abortion picketers, and then uh, she's kidnapped by nuns. She also ends up having a miscarriage. And most importantly, uh, she begins a romance with Todd Tomorrow, who, while not the hot new young movie star uh, of this book, is played by former teen matinee idol Tab Hunter in a send-up of his old image. So it's got attempted suicide and everything you would find in the old women's pictures of the 50s and 60s, but also stuff that you would find in a romance novel, I'm assuming, from reading this book. And when Criterion put it out, of course, they had that fantastic romance novel cover that they put on the front of it, which I felt was very appropriate. So I don't have a great pairing. I just have one that's like, oh, this kind of reminds me of something that was probably sending up this exact sort of thing. Interesting. I think that's I think that's an interesting pairing. And we'll get into when we get into the episode talking about taste and tastelessness, which I think is one of the most interesting things that I found about this novel. Um, And just sort of because when you do think of like the women's pictures of the the 50s, 40s and 50s, you think of the uh, enduring ones, you think of the women or all that heaven allows, which or, you know, these very tasteful movies, you know, the heiress in some way, these these sort of tasteful films and that are more Jane Austen or Wuthering Heights than they are John Waters. But I would say this book is way closer to John Waters than it is to 
uh, you know, a Cukor movie. You know, I just, I think that that's, that's what it is. Uh, so I think that's a good pairing, John. My pairing uh, is intended as a, um, as a contrast, which is it's uh, Elfriede Jelinek's Women as Lovers. Uh, Jelinek is best known. She's a Nobel Prize winning author. She won the Nobel Prize in Literature in 2004. She's best known as the writer of the novel on which Michael Haneke's The Piano Teacher is based. That's what she's most famous for. And this book from Women as Lovers is from 1975. And it's very similar to Fame and Fortune in that it's about uh, you know, that it's, uh, or maybe, or maybe even to John Waters and that it's clearly a commentary and a play on women's novels. And it's, but it's also very similar in its plot in that it's about all of the same sort of, it's about two young women. One has designs on a, a factory owner and the other has designs on like a dark, handsome woodsman type. And it's about their pregnancies and seductions of these guys and the parents that hate them and how their lives fall apart and one ending up in prostitution as a way to support her drunken husband. And it's very traditional um, women's novel kind of stuff that she's playing on uh, and approaching in some way. And I think to contrast something that's such a literary work with something that's a genre work like fame and fortune is interesting. The way the book is written is very stylized. It has no capitalizations, has very strange punctuation and paragraph breaks. It's almost like a prose poem. It's a series of sort of short paragraphs that are more impressionistic than story like, right? Than, 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 than regular, than regular writing. And I sort of wonder if you just sort of took away that stylization and translated it would it perfectly resemble something like fame and fortune? And I kind of think it would in some way, but um, I don't know. I just think it's an interesting contrast to put up a literary uh, comparison before we go into it to think about why some things like Nobel prize winning. And it's very, it's also, it's fascinating because it's also very second wave feminist, which is out of, fashion right now that sort of generation of feminism is very out of fashion and to so sort of to read something that's uh i think i think now if people would read it it's ideas about class and it's sort of you know cishet white feminism would just get destroyed in the modern world as well so it's fascinating to think about how um, it's also getting stovepiped. It's also getting pushed on a certain audience and sort of degraded in some ways and how that's a sort of um, telling legacy allowed a, about a lot of art intended explicitly for a woman audience, how their legacies get uprooted and torn up and thrown out in a way that uh, I think happens to both literary and genre. And I think that's a, an, a worthwhile comparison to make. That's interesting. What was the title again? It's called Women as Lovers. Okay. It's not that great. How about that? I'll throw that out too. <laughs> I definitely preferred Fame and Fortune to it. Uh, and that's and it's the first one I read by Jelly Nick. I read all of her stuff after seeing The Piano Teacher, which I loved. And, uh, and that was the first one I could find. So I read it. And I thought, hmm, maybe I don't like her work, but some of it is, is, much, is much better than that. It's interesting for sure. Uh, it's certainly it's a book that I can imagine is some people's absolute favorite novel. Mm -hmm. Melanie, what's your, your pairing for us? 
after all of that, mine's going to seem so basic and just minuscule and nothing. But I had this, this saved and like a bundle of art stuff that I had back from college. And while reading this, I was like, this is reminding me of something whenever it was describing the family. So there's this, like, it's not Patrick Nagel, but it kind of looks like his artwork. Like it's ripoff basically, if you know, like that vector art deco Mm -hmm. art style. So I'm pretty sure if you just enter into Google and you search like Nigel uh, hair salon, it'll probably be like the third image that comes up. But there's this image of a family. There's a very angular, dark haired looking man, a very voluptuous blonde and then two kids. And I was like, that's the Malone family. (laughs) (laughs) I just pulled it up. up. You see what I'm saying? I I feel like if you look at that and you're like, okay, got it. And then you go into this, you're all set. Like you're ready to go. That's your palette for who they are. Oh, see, oh, I think great. I think that's <laughs> I think that's um, uh, Laura and Jim is who I think that okay, is. Okay, that's and, that's fair. And Dak and the other son. What are their names? <laughs> Dak and I can't remember. There's yeah. so many names in this. I tried to do like a sheet where I was like, I'm gonna know everybody's names if it comes up. I don't. I had to write, I had to start writing it down because they're all like Kirk and Jim and, and they drop, they move them around so much and they like refer to doctors. You meet one time as they're like, Jeff, uh, you know, one time. And you're like, wait, is that a guy we've already been introduced to or not? But that's funny. I didn't have that experience, but the one review I managed to find of this online was said, I could not keep all these characters apart. It was like the whole review. I don't understand why it is either. When I was reading it, I was like, do I have brain damage now? Because I couldn't keep the name straight. It made me feel like, because they're not that complicated, but I, I did they're feel- they're all like- so similar. That's the thing. It, well, I say that, but then some of them are, some of these names are wild. I don't know. <laughs> it's also the way they're introduced and the character relationships are foggy for a yeah. lot of it, where I kept on thinking, how the fuck does Grace know Maggie? Are they friends? Are Laura, Laura and Peach are friends, right? Like the how they all related to each other was always was very foggy to me, which I think made me have trouble delineating the characters for a lot of it. And their husbands are all, husbands are all introduced in a way that they take a while to form as well. So the names are not hard attached to people, I think was my problem is you'd hear about Kirk and then not fucking know anything about him until two chapters later. And then you're like, I hate Kirk. I hate this guy. Um, and the one that was easiest to remember, I think in that regard was Jason, who was the movie star. You're introduced him as the movie star and it's Jason, the movie star. So you got him right away. The Sandman. Um, that's a perfect pick. And it makes me feel like John, why don't we pick imagistic picks more? That's like much more interesting than what than what we picked. We picked books. We should have <laughs> a picture with it. I knew that's what we could expect with Melly on here. What can I say? <laughs> I'm taking credit for that great one. <laughs> okay. By virtue so, of the fact that we invited her on the show. So we allude to meteor at least. It's more than that, but I think that's an I think that's an excellent selection. And I like I like offbeat ones. Uh, as well. Um, John, do you want to take us through the plot of this thing? Yes. The plot of Fame and Fortune by Kate Coscarelli is a circle of people who revolve around Peach Malone, the widow of Drake Midas Malone, one of the richest men in California, formerly known as Kitty O'Hara. 
She was an overworked dance teacher and a hotel maid who found her Prince Charming and Drake Malone one day when she exhausted, fell asleep in his suite and he found her there and instantly fell in love with her. Fairy, fairy tale story, if there ever was one, swept her off her feet, said, I'm taking care of you now. And sure enough, was as good as his word. He was a, a lonely widower, but he found his new love. And so she became, he renamed her Peach Malone, uh, which I thought was interesting because I did find out that Kate Coscarelli started life as Shirley Mae Tyler. So I don't know what the story background of that is, how she became Kate Coscarelli, but I, I like to think that there's a lot of biographical thing put in Peach's uh, consensual changing of her name by this man who has swept her off her feet. So Drake it was a has birthday just, present. Uh, it could have been a birthday present <laughs> the name from Fange Don Coscarelli Sr., Drake is dead when the uh, to begin with when the when the book starts, uh, he's been dead for two months. Died of a stroke, and Peach is on her own, um, and her friends, uh, the circle of friends who have all been you know, in some way related to her or to Drake, are Maggie Hammond, who is a woman who's friends with her friend Laura Austin, and she uh, she's an amateur interior designer who Peach takes a chance on based on Laura's recommendation, and she has. Uh, design Peach's new home that she's going to move into now that Drake is gone. So Maggie is uh, an uh, quickly on her way up interior designer who has a husband and an adult child. And Laura is the wife of Jim, who is everybody's doctor. He's, he's the all-purpose doctor for everybody in this book. Uh, doesn't matter if you're pregnant or if you have a heart condition, whatever it is, he knows everything. He's If you need a shot every... of sedative... Jim Allison is your man. He's the That's guy. That's what he's there for. Dr. Jim Austin. Um, and no, very it's quickly, Al- wait, it's Austin or Allison? I fucked Austin. it up. It's Austin. That's all right. Very early in the book, uh, Laura, who is, uh, has a fear of flying, what it was, uh, ends up going back <laughs> home. And, um, I have a lot of catching, notes about that. Sorry, go on. <laughs> catching her husband uh, with Jilly Jordan, Hollywood's grand horizontal the new sex symbol um they have they are having an affair and she is a housewife who was so used to life the way it is and her husband's loyalty that it completely wrecks her mentally she becomes agoraphobic and she will not leave the house that's what's going on with her and the final main character related to all this is grace gable the head of uh, amazing graces a very very popular salon and uh Hair design, hairdressing, uh, hairdresser. I give, yeah. She's hair very, salon very and hairdresser. hairdresser. Um, <laughs> you're familiar with hairdressers, right, John? This isn't a heretofore untold world for you. And probably the most sordid thing that happens in the book is that we hear Grace's backstory, uh, like Peach coming from nowhere and kind of having no one to lean on after she becomes pregnant and going out to LA and being horribly uh, sexually assaulted. Uh, she meets Drake by getting hit by his limo and much like Peach, you know, he takes, he takes her under his wing out of guilt and, uh, gives her her first, you know, taste of, of success and, you know, supports her, uh, to the point where she is now, but there's a lot more to Grace's background that we learned throughout the book. So those are the main characters that we're dealing with and everything else kind of comes to them. Peach, her main story is that she meets a hot young movie star, Jason, who is, uh, much younger than her, uh, well, at least 15 years younger than her, uh, but who is very into her because she's beautiful and she is got a, she just has a purity to her. He's not after her money. He just thinks that she's she's a peach. So that's what's going on. 
what are your what are your impressions of this of, of this novel melanie just kind of going into it you said this is the kind of stuff that happens in these things was yeah. anything a surprise to you kind of going into this book no <laughs> no it, it wasn't but i did have a lot of fun i i'm not fun because that's that's not good but there there are some like there was some fun to be had in the book i'm thinking yeah, that's all right yeah no there's some fun but i'm saying what i was describing to other people was like i just read this book i need to tell you about it because you're never going to read it i'll just i'll <laughs> describe it to you so i broke down grace's entire story in the book the entire thing and they were like that is not just one section of that. I was like, that's just one character. You don't even know what's <laughs> happening in this book. But it really is just the tip of, I mean, this is, it's, yeah. I don't know. I, I guess my thing is normally in these, it's not like I really can relate to anybody, but I kind of like people. And in this, I didn't like anyone really. I, I mean, Peach is fine. I like Peach, but I felt like most of the characters were just kind of annoying. Personally. Interesting. That was my my main thing. And I feel like it kind of all of the characters folded into each other, partly because the names are so similar, but all of the men are just kind of the same. It's the kind yeah. of the same kind of feeling. So yeah, the men are really Absolutely. unlikable. Are the books like this generally ensemble books following a handful of characters, or do they focus on one woman normally? Would it would a more so, usual version just be it's about Peach? Yes more straightforward it's more you're you focus in on one story you're following typically a lady going through how she meets somebody falls in love and that's it which I like the deconstruction of this I like that her grand love story is kind of already done whenever we start that's interesting but I don't know that Drake was that great of a guy so I, you know. he definitely represents a certain kind I, I I will tell you I had a um like I'm a big sentimentalist which i i feel like people who have listened to the show will feel like i'm being sarcastic in some way but i'm not and those first few sections i was like i'm a real pushover with like this kind of thing i was like tearing up and stuff like that because i really identify with like wouldn't it be nice to have somebody to take care of you and swoop in and attend to your needs and concerns that sounds so beautiful and and nice in that way and i was not at all i had like no alfredi jelinek style deconstruction of any of this it was just purely like God damn, life is hard. And wouldn't it be great if there were solutions to the hardness of life? Wouldn't it be great if a shining light of love was possible, which I'm not sure I believe in my my own life in some way. I think that that life is probably much more like, you know, the most realistic marriage to me is is Kirk and Maggie's marriage, you know, which is just sort of like a series of unpleasant domestic squabbles and the inability to reconcile two different lives and sets of desires, even after, you know, a lifetime of trying to build that. I think that that's probably, you know, what, what real life is like. I doubt that there's a Midas Malone coming to save me. I just don't <laughs> think it's, I just don't think it's true. And any doctor I marry is going to trade me in for a younger model. John, I'm in my forties. I've got to be realistic here. And uh, yeah, but your interior design career is about to skyrocket. So we got that going. I just want to be a house husband. Is that so (laughs) fucking hard that I like cooking and cleaning? I need you to understand that about me, John. You're more than anything is what you're saying. It's funny that you mentioned the grace subplot, though, because to me, that was the most interesting thing in the book, because it is the most over the top. It really reminded me of like the tasteless section 
that's in every Jim Thompson novel, like the in the Grifters, where there's the nurse who's like nurse. the victim of underage Nazi sex experiments, and that's why she can't have kids. And the main character's like, I can't marry you. You're not a virgin. It's like she's the victim of Nazi sex experiments. That gray subplot reminded me of that. And it's in fact, you know, uh, she goes to well, let's talk about that subplot. The subplot let's get is into Grace. Yeah. Let's get into Grace and her soggy underpants. Um, Grace was a unhappy student in Illinois where she didn't didn't like the weather. She meets a young cocksure type who seduces her. She loses her, her virginity to him. A real and, smooth talking heel. And sure enough, after he is completely done with her and thrown her to the curb, she finds out she's pregnant. He wants nothing to do with it. She comes up with this harebrained scheme to move out to California as a single mother and raise the baby as soon as it's born. She does so. She's not able to find a job. She's forced to leave. This, this is where I really got worried about the book, where she leaves her baby with a stranger to like keep her, because I knew something bad was on the horizon. And I thought, Jesus, if they run off with the baby, if, if they just like the baby disappears, I'm going to lose my shit. Fortunately, <laughs> It's not that. It's just a horrible gang rape. That's all. So, um, she, one day, trying to find a baby, exhausted from trying to find work, is uh, kidnapped by this gang who very well, she's, she's rapidly out, She's out her. with her friend, Lily, who's the only person who's been helping her, who introduced her to the woman to take the baby. And Lily's a prostitute. And she's out kind of trying to do that. Right? Isn't that when she gets gang raped? Yeah. Or is it when she's just in the phone booth? Because right. she's no, not with Lily. She goes out on her own and she can't remember where yes. the house is. Because I think and, she she starts out that she's she's going to do it. She's psyching herself up. And then I think she kind of chickens out and she steps back and she's like, oh, no, no, no I'm not going to do that. I can't go through with it. Well, Because there's the second. But I, now I've got to get this sort out in my mind. She's in the phone booth when the guys who are robbing the convenience store come out and take her instead. And that's when she gets gang raped and goes into the coma. Right. Are not in the Correct. coma. She just gets gang raped. Comes the out. The wreck is what caused the coma. Yes. Right. Then she decides I have to be a prostitute after the gang rape, and she's about to get gang raped again because the guy's like, "There's a bunch of us down at the frat house." And the, the car very turns first on guy she actually approaches, she yeah. almost gets gang raped. <laughs> and that's when she runs God in front Christ. of Drake's Drake's limo and gets hit by Drake's limo, and her life changes for the better. He takes her under uh, his wing in a very um, uh, non-sexual, non very platonic way and sort of does for her what he also did for Peach, only he doesn't marry her. It's very disinterested and gets her her hair salon and, and all of that and makes her the big Warren Beatty and shampoo style success that she is today. Um, Cut to 26 years later, her uh, child has grown up and now she is attending her alma mater, her old Illinois college and comes home to tell her mom, I'm in love. He's older and he's married, but I love him and I'm pregnant. I'm going to have his baby. And it's, it's been set up. There's some really nice payoffs in this book. I'll say that much. It's set up that she gave her daughter the name Casey, which was this guy's last name because she thought, well, if he's not going to give me his last name, I'm going to steal his, I'm going to steal it from him and give it to my daughter. So her name is Casey. And Casey tells her, I'm, I'm going to marry this guy. She's like, well, okay, what's the story with this, this, this whole thing? And she says, well, I'm going to keep my name because I don't want to be Casey Casey. Really? That's what's his what first I, that's name? What I, 
That's, that's when I got shocked. I can't remember his first name. But his last name Jerry. is Casey. Jerry it's the same Jerry. guy. She has been having an affair with her father. This is when I ran and found Jordy and was like, oh my God, you won't believe what happened. She's like, it happens in every single one of these. It happens in a, yeah. <laughs> what they having sex with her father? <laughs> that See, that is that true that it's that level of, I don't want to say tastelessness, but like tasteless, like to use unsuspecting incest about the daughter of a woman who's been gang raped. That is tasteless and it's not necessarily done in a in a tasteless way what what am i supposed to do with that this is my question for you what is my reaction to that supposed to be what do you think these these novels are trying to have me do with the reaction to that i think your reaction is appropriate (laughs) i think that how you're reacting is an appropriate way to react i just think that i and slightly dead inside because I've read so many messed up storylines <laughs> revolving around incest that I'm just like, yeah, okay, sure. Jerry. So you're like, so you're like Grace later in the book when she sees her sister and her sister's like, I've never been married, you know, because our third dead sister who died, she and I were lesbian lovers. And Grace is like, oh, whatever, not even top of her list for things to shock her that yeah, day. They don't even like, it's not more than a sentence of that. Just it's mentioned and you're like, cool, right on, keep going. Yeah, she's like, that's great. I got other things on my mind because my plan is to come here to Chicago and kill Jerry, Jerry Casey in The Perfect Murder. I'm Grace. And to save my daughter from being married to her father because that's the plan. I'm going to go murder Jerry Casey using a perfect murder that my old doctor, who's some other doctor name that I'm never going to remember because there's a million names, told me would be the perfect murder. And I'm going to use my wig skills to get away with this her hairdresser skills that's to get away with plotting a lot of payoff in this book i tell you yeah one of the earliest things to pay off is how peach is wearing the uh the sable coat that saves her life like she goes out of her way to say she's wearing this really fancy coat the sable lining and you're like why do i need to know this detail and then oh it stopped the bullet there you go you didn't even mention that the first chapter of this book is peach leaving italy after her husband has died and she's almost kidnapped in the airport. And when she breaks free to run, get a police officer, she's shot in the back. And that's the opening. That's another thing. Is that common to have those sort of like crime subplots hanging over everything in the sort of unresolved way that this book, this book like has that crime story hanging over it, but it's not a crime novel between the first chapter and like the third it to last instantly chapter. loses interest in the kidnapping i almost forgot about it but before they came back on, to it yeah whenever it comes back around the end you're like oh yeah that oh, that was yeah. the thing that happened at the very beginning of this whole yeah i remember that uh I <laughs> yeah is say, that a common thing yeah and not not in that way i think it's pro it's typically more woven into the story but yeah it's it's pretty common yeah but the grace murder thing obviously it's the most compelling plot it's the thing that you're really kind of you're like, oh, wow, is she going to succeed? What's going to happen here? Because she's not gonna, just going to go up and pop the guy. She decides she has to make it look like a heart attack. So she's going to inject him with this uh, drug, which is it a real thing, Chris? This drug, I, could, I couldn't tell if it was a fictional yes, uh, but drug it's or not. Yes, but I, so I don't understand why she would inject it with him to kill him. It's, a, it's, it's something you use when you have heart problems. I didn't look it up. It's my understanding that's something that's used to regulate heartbeat like when you have heart problems uh, in the emergency room. So I guess if you overdose on it, it causes some uh, big 
big problem with that would theoretically be the problem. The twist is that Jerry lives through the attempt on his life that spurs him to get divorced and marry Casey. He said, what have I been doing with my life? This crazy lady in a hotel room pretending to be the head of a foundation that I want to be a fellow of is actually tried to murder me. Yes, you should definitely mention that she seduces Jerry before she injects him. They they have sex. There's, there's no other way she can do it. She's not, <laughs> she's she has to. She's going it. after his weakness. Grace, who has Fair. completely sworn off sex since her horrific gang rape, seduces him and has sex with him before injecting him. Uh, again, this is eye-opening stuff, Melly, that I did not expect <laughs> as a novice to this this genre. But isn't that this is what this is kind of what I wanted to talk about? It is what's entertaining about it is its outrageousness, right? And sort of when you were going to say it's a fun thing i think the fun of these novels you know again it's like bc andrews the fun of it is the outlandishness of it and i think that's a little bit why it's disregarded as a genre is i have no way of defending my enjoyment of that subplot but it's definitely something the whole time i'm like holy shit this is crazy in a good way with it you know in a way that like um you know, with the Laura, the agoraphobic housewife subplot, you know, that's not fun, particularly. Although I really, I've got to say, I really enjoyed this book and responded to this book and the buttons this book was supposed to press, it all pressed correctly in me. I, I definitely read it. And I think that, you know, um, in a funny way, I'm the target audience for it in some ways. Like it feels very like, uh, like, um, up my alley, all of this, you know, these are the kinds of things I'm interested in, in a novel, uh, but sort of warped and distorted into fun and entertainment. It's like VC Andrews in that way, that it takes something very, both very unpleasant, but also domestic minutia and human relationships. One of the things that I was going to say that this book reminded me of when I was thinking of analogs, and this will probably be one of my dessert pairings, but if you look at it, as far as what it's interested in uh, story-wise and plot-wise, it's not substantially different from like a Truffaut movie, you know, where his movies, the subjects are love, fidelity, marriage, connection. Like if you look at Soft Skin or Woman Next Door, the later Duanel films like Bed and Board, there it's that kind of thematic concerns you know they what they're interested in are what my favorite movies in the world are interested in and so no truffaut must have given more than one actress the old new morality speech at some point (laughs) (laughs) he's definitely he wouldn't be good casting for the sleazy french doctor but i'm willing to bet he talked to women like the sleazy french doctor you are how you say beautiful. He has like lines like that throughout the book. <laughs> it was it was neat to have Laura, whose world comes crashing down when she sees her husband with the Sharon Stone like starlet in the most graphic, you know, of compromised positions, and then have this complete mental breakdown, and then kind of realize that like Jesus, she knew what Grace was going through right now. <laughs> I bet her problems would not seem to be quite as you know a little more surmountable i think than she would uh, that she thinks they are but uh, obviously it's a big thing for this i kept wondering whether kate was judging these characters or very specifically not judging them because you know 
There's one woman who decides her career is, you know, what's going to be fulfilling for her, not her marriage. And then there's another one who can't live, literally can't live without someone who's there that she can cook for and take care of uh, and, and be at their beck and call. And then in the middle, middle of all this, you got Peach, you know, who's someone who is just not realized how, you know, kind of subjugated she become under being swept away by this one person and how naive she is now out in the world where he's not there to take care of her. And there was like a pretty good argument for each one of their mentalities. And it was in a way that I felt like she wasn't being judgmental of them specifically, or maybe she was being judgmental on all of them at once. What do you think, Melody? Do you think she, she actually, you said, you said that you particularly didn't like the characters necessarily, but do you think that Kate sh- liked these yeah, characters? I, I shouldn't say that I dislike the characters. I guess that's not a good, it's just, I was frustrated with them, which is probably natural, but I don't think she's judgmental of them. I think, I don't know. It seems, I, I feel like I have an idea of who she is, which is completely unfounded. She just seems, I watched uh Kenny and company and she's so yeah. sweet in that. And she just seems like just such like a, a motherly energy. So it's like, I don't get judgment from her in reading this at all. I feel like she's just letting these these characters play out and it is what it is. Everything is very, yeah, I don't, I at no, I had that same thought though because there's a line I can't remember. It's closer to the end where I think it's between, oh, who's the, uh, it's Maggie and the person she's working with. It's Connor's mother. I can't remember uh, her Bel- name. Belinda. Belinda. Belinda Cornwall. Who yes. I, you know who I pictured Belinda as? The evil witch from Spirited Away. Every time <laughs> Belinda was on screen, that's who I pictured <laughs> talking. She's just, that's yeah, that's really good. Uh, but every time, uh, like, they're talking towards the end, once the her marriage is kind of deteriorating with Kirk, there's this very judgy energy to her of, like, you've got to pick the guy. Like, what are you doing? This job's nothing. And it's like, you want her to finish the house so your son can come home like calm down don't say anything right now but she's so just so judgy and that's the only character but it's it was funny like it wasn't like a serious judgment to me anyways also because an interesting contrast to peach too where she's you know arguing for you know being there for your man and everything like that and whereas peach is like no come and do you know let your career career flourish come and do my uh, my house out in the country, you know. Do my Napa. yacht. Do my, yeah. Do whatever. <laughs> well, but also where Peach's story of transition is from being a sort of inert housewife figure and wife figure to forming the foundation, taking control of the finances, and taking the same uh, arc as Maggie in a lot of ways as the interior designer of sort of seizing control of it, but with none of the service that comes from being married. That's my main impression of this book is that it seems a lot better to be a widow than to be married is my, is my takeaway from this book. Uh, That's a pretty good takeaway. Did you guys hate all of the dudes are pretty detestable except for Drake who's dead off screen. Except for Doug Dooley. Doug Dooley's the guy. He's the <laughs> he's the main guy. Who? Which guy did you hate the most? Kirk. I Kirk. Kirk. Kirk I fucking. Hated but Kirk. Kirk is not. Yeah. Kirk, I was, Captain Kirk. He's but he's not like as objectively bad as some of the uh, as some of the others. He's clearly not as bad as Jerry Casey. But Kirk is the most hateable. I just fucking hated him so much. It was amazing. Well, that was the funny thing about Jerry Casey is that. She, she is grace is obviously like tells tells case her daughter casey to her face 
this guy is just using you. He's got dozens of other students that he's banged over the years. Like you're nothing to him. He's just interested in you because you, you're, you're carrying his child. And you kind of think like, well, hey, hold on there, Grace. It's been 26 years. I mean, maybe the guy's changed. Maybe his attitudes towards women have changed. And then he is so reprehensible when she gets in that hotel room with him. He gets turned on when she tells him about her gang rape. He's just absolutely despicable. And I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't figure out like, am I seeing this through her eyes? Like, it's yeah. this like, she just hates this guy so much. And he just resembles every disgusting, ugly thing about men that she sees him like this, or is this literally the worst fucking guy on the planet? <laughs> That's the only other explanation. Well, it's also, it's, it's interesting because Kirk doesn't cheat on his wife. He's not uh, um, a getting her pregnant and abandoning her. He does, does try to forcibly anal rape her. I guess that's pretty bad. Um, but all of the guys are detestable in this. I was thinking about him in contrast to Jim Austin, who cheats on his wife, sort of mentally shatters Laura, abandons her so he can go away with the starlet, makes her move to a big house that she doesn't like, and then leaves her in it to be with this other woman who he immediately gets pregnant and is getting remarried to. And I didn't hate, Jim is not as hateable in this book for some reason. I was trying to figure out why. And I was thinking, oh, because we never see Kirk be of any use or value. Jim is constantly showing up in this book to be a doctor and help people. And we hear about how he helped Drake Malone through his final days dying of cancer and how, how useful he was. Kirk is just some fucking asshole. And when we see his work life, it's that terrible dinner that he makes his wife go to with like the rich investor guy who keeps calling her the little lady and talking about big appetite. She's got other appetites. Am I right? And then I love how in that moment, Maggie looks at how skinny his wife is and is just touching her food. She clearly has no appetite whatsoever. Um, but it is, it is sort of strange where, where Kirk is obviously they're all detestable, but there's something so palpably hateable about Kirk in this. And I was trying to analyze why that is, why he sort of jumps out even amongst the others. All three of us said Kirk without hesitation for the most hateable in it. And I was just wondering if you guys have thoughts on why that is when so many of the dudes are horrifically bad. What would you I say, mean, Melanie? Yeah, so... I think it is Jim, like that that section where it's describing Laura watching Jilly and him, or Gilly, whatever her name is, Jilly, uh, their tryst in the hallway or whatever, where she's staged up kind of, I kind of imagined her up on the stairs looking down at them. I can't remember if that's how it's described, but in my mind, that's what it was like. And I, that is a terrible moment. It's heartbreaking. It's disgusting the way it's described is really well done. Like you feel angry while you're reading it and she just breaks down and, you know, doesn't react in that moment. The saddest reaction ever. She goes into her bedroom and takes some sleeping pills and just decides just, I'm just going to go to sleep. I'm just going to act like that didn't happen. I'm just going to go to sleep. Also, there's the tragic moment where she's watching what they're doing and she's like, I've never done that for him, but I would have if he asked. Yeah. It's like, oh, but... <laughs> Laura, you deserve better. Don't I want, have I want to introduce you reaction. to a guy named Kirk who will definitely <laughs> tell you he wants to grow stuff to you. Yeah. Is that a happy ending? Her and Kirk? Sorry, go on. 
no, it's the, that's like a whole, see, that's another, that's another layer to this where I was just like, why? But, uh, with Jim, it, yeah, you witness this terrible thing happen, but anytime someone calls Jim, no matter what he's doing, he comes like, he's immediately there for every single one of these ladies when they call him. So just by that, the fact that he's available and he, towards the end, whenever they, uh, him and Laura get back together and have that meal and he, they're very honest about everything with one another. He is aware of how much he hurt her. Like he's, he's not just callous about it, even though everything about the situation is awful and his, the way he went about navigating it was awful. He owns up to it in a way. So he's just not as despicable. He's just, there's something about Kirk. I don't know. Kirk is just every time I just hated, I hated reading Maggie chapters. Cause I was like, I don't want to hear more about Kirk. Yeah. 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 I, I feel like to me, Kirk resembles fights I've had with people in my life in a way that like, you know, my, my husband has never left me for a Sharon Stone type starlet. That's not really something I can identify with, you know, I even, you know, not to get too personal, I've never even been cheated on, you know, kind of thing, but the stuff with Kirk of just like, God damn it. Can we have breakfast? Can we just fucking have breakfast for the love of God? Yes, I have to leave the dish in the sink. I'm late for work because you didn't wake me up because you're angry. I know it's not your responsibility to wake me up, Kirk. I know like that exact fight, you know, like I, I think everybody's had that fight 30 to 100 times in their life if they've been in a relationship for any amount of time. And I think for me that that's what made it so palpable. Whereas, you know, whereas with the gym stuff or especially the the Jerry Casey you know, I think as I think that is one flip for a man as an audience is that there are not Jerry, Jerry Casey as a woman that I would have in my life doesn't exist. It's not in a character that can exist. I can't get pregnant and get abandoned by somebody. It's not a possibility for detestable behavior for me. It's something that has to be purely theoretical. And there's not like, I'm sure there are, but they're certainly not as common like manonizing women as opposed to womanizing men so that character seems very remote to me in a lot of ways it's something that i'm sympathetic for what happened to grace more than palpably feeling it in any way you know more than than palpably feeling although i gotta say obviously when i read this book you know it's very easy to identify with all the different women characters and you're obviously as a reader placed in their position and I don't think that, I mean, who the hell knows how it is for other people, but I didn't have any problem identifying with women in the chapters that I'm in. I think that's also something about Maggie as like, if you have work that's disruptive to your personal life and you have to work really hard at it and it's very low success rate, uh, just knowing what that's like to be with somebody who's like, can't you just do something else and make everybody's life easier? Is very easy. Well, that's, to yeah, I mean, that's way. Kirk's thing too. Is that it's his presence that is like a, a direct, you know, pro problem for her. With uh, Laura, it's that her husband has left. With Grace, it's that this guy exists, even though he's not physically present. He's not there. He's just kind of like hovering over everything. But it's these guys who are specifically absent. And with Peach, it's that you know Drake, her husband, is gone. Uh, is her big hang up. So Kirk is the one who is literally the one who is standing in the way of one of the lead female characters. So you kind of hate him for that too. I kind of think about the autobiographical 
you know, uh, ness of this. Where I think, you know, Don Senior from reading uh, Coscarelli's book, obviously very supportive of his wife and his children, uh, a real prince of a guy, you know, he put up the money for Phantasm. And then uh, Kate, you know, did everything on the film. She was a production designer. She was a caterer. Um, you know, she did some special effects. I mean, they really nurtured this film and they uh, worked, of course, with Jim, uh, the world's greatest and Kenny and company. And so I think there's a little bit of him in, in Drake, you know, there's a little bit of him in like, you know, someone who took care of the people he loved, you know, and his family. But in Drake's absence, it's interesting because then you kind of get into why would Drake trust these people who are now running the estate? You know, why would he associate with clearly scummy guys like this? And since we don't know Drake as a character really after, you know, that flashback, you have to wonder like this side of Drake, you know, who wasn't, who wasn't actually looking out for people, you know, didn't make good, good associations and left everybody in a lurch with his death. So yeah, that's kind of hanging over the novel throughout the whole thing as well. Um, but I, I sent you guys the picture of um, Kate's tombstone, you know, that had all six of her books and her picture on it. And I just think like, man, Don Sr., what a great gesture. You know, I'm totally charmed by that gesture that he would like do that for her. I don't, I can't think of anything. Like, can you imagine Faulkner having like a tombstone with like all his books <laughs> listed, like the spines of the books, you know, with all the titles on it? I think it's all of them great. except for mosquitoes, I can imagine. Um, <laughs> that is one thing. It's, it's interesting to bring up Kate Coscarelli and the Coscarelli family. That is definitely one thing I felt when reading this book was like the presence of the Coscarelli family. And it's, it's weird. I'm, I don't think it's in the book. I think it's something I was bringing to it with me because film Coscarelli is a filmmaker. I like a lot, but more than that, he's a filmmaker that I have affection for, you know, like he's one of those filmmakers that feels like mine in some way. Uh, and that I'm sure he does for a lot of people. I mean, I'm obviously not the world's biggest Coscarelli fan. There's much bigger Coscarelli fans than me, including you, John Cribbs, but he's somebody that I feel affection for. And you can kind of feel it's sort of, I don't know. There's just like a, a it's dedicated to Don and her two kids, you know, and you, there's just something that feels like, oh, this is so sweet that she made this and it was a New York times bestseller. And she was so involved in his films and this is his mom's book. And, uh, you know, my mom's a nonfiction author. How the fuck would I feel if I read this book and my mom had written it? That's not a feeling I'm sure I'd want. And it's like, I'd actually probably be psyched, you know, to, to support my mom. And I imagine that for that Don was in the same, the same way with it. You know, it just, there's something about this book. It, it gave me, I, I don't know, maybe it was just in a sentimental mood, but this book like really emotionally affected me across the board and the way I think it was both supposed to and this this extra lanyap type uh, reaction. Yeah, I, I expect it to be more Hollywood based and have more movie star type stuff just because of her movie star or entertainment industry family. I'm always weirded out in a book like this where there are fake movie stars and then also real names like Alan Pacula and John Voight and Mikhail Baryshnikov thrown in there, you know, it's like this meshed universe. Yeah, that's what Lou Wasserman and Sid Sheinberg and all of that kind of name dropping mixed in with whoever it is, Bert. They're all at Bert Silence's party, right? Yeah. Did you feel like, here's what I felt like the Don Coscarelli influence was, is the movie 
that Jason, the young movie star makes, that's going to be a huge hit and propel him to megastardom is called Sandman. This reminded me of, so, so Melanie, when John Cribbs was younger, his sister, who's a playwright, asked him, I'm writing this play and I need a recommendation. There's a guy who's trying to contrast movies that guys like and movies that women like. What does it tell the story? <laughs> she correctly. didn't tell me it was a play. Oh, she just said, what's a movie that men like? That's all she asked. me. And she also said, what's a movie that women like that right. men don't. And so John said, I don't know, terms of endearment for women and, <laughs> and faster pussycat kill kill for men. And then in the play, this character in the play is like, women like movies like terms of endearment and men like movies like faster pussycat kill kill. And it's like, oh my God, that <laughs> makes the character seem like a perverted lunatic all of a sudden in the middle of this play. Don't you feel That's like- a published play. That line is in a published play. <laughs> don't you feel like- she went to Don and was like, you're into sci-fi stuff. What's a comic book character that somebody might make a that you like? And he was like, I don't know, Sandman. Who's Sandman? I don't know, he's just a character that's been around a long time. And so that's why it's named Sandman. I feel like, I feel like that's the reason it's called Sandman, don't you? I absolutely do. No comment. Dead silence. <laughs> this is like, is this the same year he made Beastmaster? What year is Beastmaster? It's around the same time. Yeah. 83, 84, something like that. So he was probably living that Dino De Laurentiis life at this point. He's probably, she probably got, I wonder if Bert's based on Dino. Could probably, be. almost definitely, I'd say. All my speculation is, is founded. Melanie, before we went to record, you said, I have thoughts on this book. And it sounded like you had something big loaded up. Where, is it? But I don't really. I don't. I just... <laughs> Like going through everything, I, I enjoyed reading it and I, I felt the same thing where I, there was a lot of drawing in on, on Kate and Don, which probably it's not necessarily in the book. I just had those feelings around it, you know, and we all did, it sounds like. So I felt, it did feel like I was reading something that like a mother had written and I was, I felt sweet on it, but at the same time, I was just like, these names are out of control. Kitty O'Hara, Drake alone. I was like, what is happening? And then whenever I, I set friends down, multiple people in my life, I was like, I need to tell you about Grace. So if you could just give me a moment of your time, thank you. And I explained everything and they were like, right, is this like a lifetime movie? Like, what are you? And I was like, that's fair. That's not, you're not wrong that these are all things that would happen in a lifetime movie, but also you would be entertained. But it's funny how this book was both like way more graphic than I expected, but it was also over very quickly. It would be like yeah. two sentences of being incredibly like unpleasantly graphic, you know, and that kind of like the soggy underpants line where yeah. it's just like, well, and there's, oh. I think but then it's over so fast. The thing that shocked me is whenever it's during Grace's, I don't know if it's the second or the first, no, it's the first, I guess where someone talks about her milk and I was just like, I'm not prepared oh, for that yeah. right now. I was just not ready for it. That oh, was the only thing where God. I was like, oh, okay, I don't care. And then she has the abscesses that, that have to be lanced. That section is really rough. It's rough, yeah. That's yeah. definitely why I expected more of the, <laughs> the end of the book, you know, where you've gone through such horrible things and it's like, so what's the big, what's I was, happen at the well, end? Well, the last hundred pages, it just runs out. Yeah. Of, 
of thoughts about this. You well, know? and everything feels very quickly tied up with a bow where everyone's just like kind of paired off again and it's fine. Yeah, so, they sort yeah. of move around. The, la- the last hundred pages is definitely completely out of out of steam. <laughs> so it's so you're not-, not totally dead to this kind of stuff. You still feel like it's worth like revealing to people and getting their reaction on it, right? Yeah, for sure. But <laughs> yeah, so it's I had thoughts. It's just I thought all the men were kind of trash. That was the main thing. But I yeah. just was like, all the men are terrible. The ladies, I feel for them. And I just, I feel like they have so much more patience than I do. I guess that was the main takeaway. I was like, so many of these ladies are so much more patient. I would not stand and watch anything that Jim was doing and just be like, oh, I'm going to go lay down right now. (laughs) I can't relate to that. I would have been like, I just can't. Yeah. There's so many moments in this. The the way that Drake impeached me is so bizarre to me. I worked at a hotel whenever I was her age. I like briefly, I worked at a hotel and I just remember there are so many creepy interactions that I had. And I was just like, this is not a romantic story. This is yeah. horrifying. This is well, a Did you ever try story. falling asleep in like a big ritzy no, suite before? I, I didn't, but I had like a really weird picture whenever I read that, which is not, I don't even know. So in my head, I was like, okay, so this would be a really good wrestling storyline where you have like <laughs> Miss Elizabeth falls asleep in someone's dressing room and then she wakes up and Ted DiBiase is just standing over her with his belts and his money and he's like, I'm going to change your life. And it's like, <sighs> so I had a lot of thoughts about this book. That was all. Just did a you, lot of thoughts. When you were working at a hotel, did you ever meet a rich guy who immediately decided to change your name because you were covered with peach fuzz hair? Did that ever happen to you? Did he it, immediately? It didn't, but I had a guy whenever I was tending bar tell me that I should come skydiving with him and move in with him. That happened. And I was like, I'm okay. I'll just, I'll keep, <laughs> I'll stay here. Thank you though. <laughs> like skydive directly into his house and then boom you're there you're his boy yeah i was just like perfect. that's actually yeah that you know what though after reading this maybe i should have done that because things would have been easier for sure there you know yeah that's i won't even tell that story on the air there's the, there's there's a famous director who used to come into the bar and hit on my son's mother all the time that she worked at and gave her incredible amounts of money and i always say that this guy paid for my apartment is what about that and so it was i had i guess i did have my drake midas malone now that i think about it i guess i did i guess i was being too too negative about it uh did you like did you here's something that i thought was weird about this the men that were supposed to be appealing jason and the french doctor and even drake malone what you're saying i did not find any of them appealing at all Absolutely not. Absolutely yeah. not. None of them were appealing. Especially if you're working from her perspective of being rich already. I feel like part of what's seductive about either of them is a successful plastic surgeon and a movie star. It's like she doesn't need any of their power. It, you know what I mean? Like, so that part of their appeal, I felt like a better pairing for her would have been like, you know, the, the rock Hudson and all that heaven allows type the like, yeah, I'm just a simple woodsman who doesn't know anything about your Hollywood ways, you know, that kind of, that kind of, of guy for her, I think, 
would have been more interesting. I will say my the main thing that bothered me about this book is they're in fucking Los Angeles. Everybody's starting fires in their fireplaces all the goddamn time. <laughs> Who wants to be hotter when you're in Los Angeles? Hated that. I don't know much about LA, but I take your word for it. <laughs> it's very unpleasant, Los Angeles. That's another thing I disliked about this book is it, it's clearly Coscarelli has very rosy thoughts about California in some fundamental way. And it's just Los Angeles is my least favorite place on earth. So it's something like I feel like we should talk about two. This is a, a first novel, you know, and it feels like a first novel, you know, that's it's messy. Uh, we we were, were saying to each other, it kind of loses steam in the last you know hundred pages or so. Uh, it's four hundred and twenty-five pages in the in the little paperback version I have here. The hardcover I also have is only like three twenty-five. But yeah, it's things get thrown out very quickly. You know, they get set up and then they don't really pay off in the end. There's a lot of that going on. Although I feel like I'm going to make Melanie tell everyone how the grace story ends because that was the one thing that i thought i i cannot believe this is how this is going to wrap up at the end of christmas so just to set it up peach invites everyone to christmas at her at her house um uh, kirk and maggie and grace and casey and laura and young jason and also this um french plastic surgeon who's very interested in her they're all there and then uh, Grace, who has failed to murder uh, Jerry and only driven them you know, more into each other's arms, uh, has come out of her attempted suicide coma because she finds out the, that she lost the baby and her reaction is, oh my God, that's great. I'm so glad you lost the baby without Casey understanding why she's excited about it. But she decides to tell Casey everything except that she went to murder Jerry. And then she's at Christmas. She gets a phone call. And Melanie, take it from there. What happens? Well, they, we find out that Jerry is in Los Angeles. He came to see <laughs> Casey. And he's in love. He's ready to commit. He's there. He's in living color. And they rush back home and have a confrontation. Isn't that so what now happens? the thought is like, he's going to recognize me. I tried to murder him. You know, I seduced him and tried to murder him. He's going to know I'm the one. No, That's the not. big setup. And then he's what happens? He's absolutely not going to know a thing. He doesn't recognize her. He doesn't know anything because he's a dirtbag. Obviously, he wouldn't. He's like, yeah, it's just another lady, whatever. She's super hot. Goes on flirting with the daughter. And the daughter's just like, yeah, I'm good. Uh, I lost the baby. Um I, I don't want to marry you. I'm totally fine. That's about what happens. That's exactly there's, what happens. There is nothing like there's no reveal. I thought there was going to, someone was going to pull a wig. Nothing happened. It was so <laughs> calm. I was just like, all right. No dramatic perfect. tension. And yeah. Casey, Casey also, I wrote this line down to say it exactly as it's written. Casey responds to being told that she had sex with her father, was impregnant by her father by being completely blase. Like, well, mom, I totally get it. And this is this is Grace's line to her, Casey. Doesn't the uh, incest thing bother you at all? No, We're I will speaking say speaking for all of us. Speaking for all, of I would. It is amazing how little incest bothers everyone in this book. It's. I would say that is the hallmark <laughs> of this book. It's every the, time they bring up anything incestual, it's a sentence, and then we're like, "All right, we're good. We covered that. <laughs> Let's get past it." They are. Uh, is yeah, oh my god 
I will I, say, I feel like I incest had... has more weight in other stories I've read. I will say that much, but this is the most just, it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. I would have had a hundred different predictions on how this was all going to come to a head at the end. Not, oh, okay. No problem. I reread Hi, that Dad. section because I you thought call I me? missed something. Yeah. What do you think Jerry's perspective and memory is on the night that she drugged him like what when he tells that story to people in his life how does that story go yeah so this lady claimed she was working for that foundation and then she just wanted to fuck me in the hotel and it was so good i had a heart attack shit was crazy anyway i'm gonna marry my 28 year old daughter 28 year old girlfriend now i i yeah in this world that's what happened (laughs) he just talked about it like it was a great night honestly it was crazy she was crazy you know how the crazy ones are. Am I right, John Cribbs? This is a question Chris Funderburg asking you. It's no, as crazy. Um, it's as crazy. I think I feel like it's an Al Creek thing, sort of like in you know the James Bond <laughs> film Spectre, where he so unrealistically breaks out of that base and just blows everything up and gets away on the helicopter. You're like, is he still strapped to that chair getting tortured? I feel it's the same thing here. Like, is this is Grace still in the coma? Is this just yeah, how she's Grace resolving this in her head? Is this all happening in her bed. mind? Um, but I think that's just another thing with like, you know, being a first novel, you know, maybe she just couldn't come up with a good climax, you know, she just couldn't, uh, or her sex novels can come up with a good climax, but she just had to kind of have everything just sort of work out. She manages to put grace as far into the corner as she can. Then she just lets her walk away. So knowing that I like this, do you think I should venture more into romance novel territory or do you think this is do you think this is close to the platonic ideal or do you think it's far enough on off model that maybe I shouldn't be enthusiastic about venturing further no I think that you should venture further into it but I don't want to recommend anything to you because you'll just hate it my first thought was if I can get a (laughs) Melanie Daniels book list reading list that's the only way I'm going to read more of these books. Even I, yeah, but but there's no pressure. Even if I hated it, you obviously have made clear that you don't want to recommend anything. So I'm not asking for recommendations. I mean, I do have a book though for my dessert. I have a I have a book. It's it's a it's something. Similar. Let's let's move to the dessert pairings. Is there any is there, is there any more you wanted to say about about the book before we move into our dessert pairings? No, I did buy a couple more of her books, so I'm excited to read more. This, as to your what you said, John, this feels like a first book. So I didn't want to write off Kate just based on this, even though I didn't love every part of it. I enjoyed reading it. I'm excited to read more of her, of her novels. So same. I did would you... love to read more of her books. I, I was bummed to find out that she had an unfinished novel when she oh, passed away. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Again, there's just there's a her website is still up, uh, which was run by I think her granddaughter. Uh, it's such it's so lovingly put together, you know, and it talks about here's a passage from her upcoming book and everything. And it's just heartbreaking to like to look at it. But at the same time, just it's great to know that like her whole family was clearly very supportive of her uh, career. And she, she just seemed like she was probably having a good time. I would I would like to have read another adventure of Peach Malone, honestly, a sequel to this book. Uh, unfortunately, she didn't write a sequel, direct sequel. But uh, yeah, I definitely want to check out some of her other stuff yeah. and see how many more times she uses the word Sarter which somebody actually describes themselves as a Sartre. Sater, Sater. Sater. She also, you know what word she loves is trucellant. She uses trucellant like five or six times in this novel. 
which I was it's great. Perfectly truculent word. Do you, do you <laughs> easy to anger? Do you, uh, do you agree with the assessment that this novel is juicy? These women are winners, goddesses who go for it. Do you agree with that assessment of this from, from Publishers Weekly? Okay, dessert pairings. Uh, let's, we, will, we will go directly to you, Melanie, to start since you, since you queued it up. Let's get the... Uh... Mine's, a, mine's a bit of a cheat. And I don't know, like Cinema Parlor, we cheat a lot on there. And you any son sort of, of a bitch. I'm just telling you, any sort of list. So, it, but you have to have setup, I feel, too. I feel like everyone should go into this how I went into it. Because it was, it was just an organic discovery that I was <laughs> delighted by. And I immediately ordered it once I, once I discovered it. Okay, so what you want to do first. And honestly, I feel like this book is kind of the appetite to the book I'm going to talk about. Yeah. But you have to watch uh, Devil's Honey by Fulci. Okay. To before you can even do anything. So you have to watch this. And then in watching that, you'll meet a guy named Brett Halsey. He plays the doctor in that book. Have you got or that book, that movie. movie? You guys have both seen it, correct? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So in it, he plays the guy that gets kidnapped and yeah. he is an author. He wrote several novels. Whoa. He was, yeah. He also, he did a lot of soap opera acting. So that's a lot of his books are about drama and soap operas. So what I'm going to recommend is everyone should read Yesterday's Children by Brett Halsey. Whoa. It's, I, I'll just read like a tiny little blurb from the back. My cover has a really good quote from Burt Reynolds recommending this book to everybody. It's really <laughs> funny. So the, just like as a little teaser for this, adultery, abortion, incest, that's what's happening on your TV screens. But behind the camera is where the real action in yesterday's children. And then it lists all their names, which they're just as bananas as this. It's crazy. (laughs) But everyone should read his, his books because honestly, I just want one other person to read them so I can talk about them to somebody because I even bought this for a friend and they didn't read it. I'm just heartbroken. What? Really? Yeah. I was like, can someone please read this? Someone else read this so I can exercise this need to talk about it. Oh, that's the worst. If somebody bought me a book, I would read it immediately. That's his. Oh, I'm used to it. I buy, I buy garbage from people. I get it. Um, I, if anybody, yes, I always would read a book. It's, (laughs) it's interesting. I'm looking him up and it doesn't, it doesn't even come up that he's an author. Yeah. He's, he's written several books. Um, uh, magnificent people i, I think is that. another one yeah or magnificent strangers that's what it's called do you uh, have like, the burt quote from the cover I, yeah you? i sure do it's what uh, is it <laughs> it's i said it's a great quote it's really not but that's what's so good about it so from burt reynolds nobody knows more about sex intrigue and all that good stuff that goes on in soap operas better than brett housey that is a great quote wow though. that's terrific <laughs> Couldn't ask for a better quote than that. And especially yeah. from Burt Reynolds. I know, it's, it's right on the cover too. It's so good. It's, it's you can imagine Burt Reynolds saying that to someone as he's getting into an elevator. That's when the quote was, yeah, nobody yeah. knows more about that stuff than Brett. Like he never read this for certain. <laughs> he's just like, oh yeah, I got a quote for you. Do you think Burt Reynolds has ever read a book? <laughs> 
Uh, um, I don't mean that as an insult. I'd be sort of disappointed if he had in some ways. Um, <laughs> I enjoyed your uh, Bert by Norm MacDonald uh, impression there. But... <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I'll do my pairing because it's it's not super interesting, and I and I already uh, uh, alluded to it. I was thinking of doing The Button by Patricia Highsmith, which is one of her short stories from Mermaids on the Golf Course, which is about a guy who's a young guy who's married and has a, um, uh, a young wife and they have a developmentally disabled son and he's like miserable having a developmentally disabled son. It's like making his life horrible. So he goes and murders a random stranger uh, just to like, he, cause he's so unhappy and takes the button off the guy's jacket when he kills him. And it like saves his marriage. He's like happy from then on. And anytime he's frustrated, he just takes the button out and runs his fingers on it. But I thought that's not actually like. A, that's a, funny that he murders a random stranger and it's called the button, like Richard Matheson's story, button, button about hitting a button and yeah. a random stranger will die somewhere in the world. Exactly. But it's also what I like about it. Remind me of this book is is sort of like, what if there were just like easy solutions to the intractable problems of life? Like, what if you told Jerry Casey you're not going to marry him and just buy? It doesn't matter that you're my father and I fucked you. Like, wouldn't that be great if you could just rub your finger on the button and everything that was making you <laughs> depressed made you feel better? But I'm going to pick Truffaut's The Soft Skin, which is about a college professor having an affair. It's sort of about the Jerry Casey character in some ways and being sympathetic to him. Although he has his his grace show up certainly at the end of that movie, uh, Melanie. I don't know if you've seen it, but it it has a a, a uh, twi- it has a last five minutes that I'm constantly like. I think that was a bad decision, but it definitely connects it to uh, to to this book in some ways, and I think has like I said before, it has a melodramatic quality to it. And sort of a a pulp Harlequinish quality to it, but done in a literary fashion. I guess that you know connecting it to to uh, Jelinek's novel in that way. And it's a beautiful movie. It's probably my favorite Truffaut. Although who knows anymore? Les Mistons is my favorite. But it's it's a great film. It's a really great film, and you should see it. And you should sort of. I think it's interesting to view romance novels through that kind of lens and contextualize them and say what makes this movie different than that because i'm not sure there are as massive differences as are made out to be with it especially you know when the shotgun toting murderess shows up in the last five minutes out of nowhere well those are both great picks obviously mine is the mine's the mine's the lazy one mine is the bad one (laughs) Because I, again, I struggled to think, what, what theme am I going to focus on from this book? And what I ended up coming up with was, well, you know, we didn't even talk about that much because it's so clearly not the thing that Kate's interested in, but it's Peach getting scammed by this lawyer and this business manager. Um, and at the very, very end, we find out, thanks to Doug Dooley, who, of course, I imagine being played by the great Paul Dooley, um, informs <laughs> her that it's the lawyer who has been... Um, stealing money from the estate and has run off now with his uh, girlfriend uh leaving peach high and dry so I, I i was like okay well what what's a good story of like which rich women being scammed by by people and as as fate would turn out i was thinking that exactly and i swear to god we are not endorsed we're not endorsing netflix in any way we're not getting paid any money by netflix but this happened to just drop on netflix this week it's a movie called the tinder swindler it's a brand new documentary 
directed by Felicity Morris. It's about an Israeli guy who scammed European women on Tinder to the tune of $10 million over the course of two years, essentially using a Ponzi scheme. Uh, and he would use the money that he scammed off one group of women to then wine and dine another group of women, buy them lavish presents and take them out on rides on private jets. It's just one of those kind of crazy con artist, true crime stories that you just kind of have to see to believe. And, and you can see it. Like I said, it just came on Netflix. So it's a brand You're new movie. really pushing Netflix. <laughs> well, if you've got to stream somewhere, Netflix is definitely the way to go. I mean, there are other streaming platforms, but Netflix... <laughs> definitely has my thumbs up you know up, what you, you know, know what, what I mean. when you said about scamming women you know what i thought you were going to pick no what it's going to be better what is it abuse of weakness the catherine oh, gray yes, film that is a fantastic that would have been a much better pick catherine gray's of, abuse of weakness is a fantastic it's movie. it's if the j if the jason character took advantage of peach would be would be what that that movie is yeah and that's a movie very much about you know kind of the female character allowing the abuse because of this connection that she has with this person you know like letting him uh steal from her like you know kind of tr- drain her financially and just kind of use her up in a material way as long as there's this emotional connection she's absolutely fine with it and of course that's a very autobiographical film because Catherine brea was scammed similarly after she had had her stroke and was in a very weak uh position uh with, yeah fantastic movie isabel Hooper. i'm switching it over it's abuse of weakness <laughs> it always was <laughs> Um, maybe it's on netflix you should go to netflix right now and check and see <laughs> look up Catherine bray and see how many of her films are streaming on this great platform um i i hate that there's no way to cut all of that about <laughs> netflix and have this be coherent i hate what you've done melanie thank you so much for coming on here and talking about a, a book with us and reading something it's always really exciting when we can convince people to to read and have enthusiastic readers on we love having guests on for the book episode and uh and thank you for being our guide through unfamiliar territory i hope we weren't too uh too foolishly naive i hope we weren't a pair of lauras being led around by our nose no i feel like a seedy guide though that i was like yeah let me let me walk you through all this incest (laughs) you were like the uh the rudolfo you knew yeah. the uh, where to hook mm-hmm. us up with the uh, the drug dealer if we needed it. And we were Grace and you were Rudolfo. That's what exactly. this is, clearly. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much, Melanie. It's going to be it's going to be hard to go to another guest after you were so great. I'm going to quote uh, uh, the book specifically. <laughs> you're, 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 now you're, gonna... you're, you're pitching her like she's Netflix now. What is no, fucking going on? No, I just got a great quote here that you just totally stepped on. She's been such a great guest that I'm going to say, you know, how are we ever going to get a good guest like her? How are you going to keep them on the farm once they've been to Perry? Exactly. <laughs> to quote one of Laura's letters from Fame and Fortune by Kate Coscarelli. Say hi to Spencer and Joel for us, although we're doing their show coming up very soon, aren't we, John? Yeah, no, please talk for a minute about because it's brand new, oh, the arbitrary yes. indiscriminate uh, movie podcast uh, that you guys have just started uh, hosting. What was the concept behind all that? That, I mean, it's exa- in the mouthful that it is, basically we just randomly pick films from Letterboxd. There's a system that Joel has all worked out where we pluck a film somewhere in the ether and we talk about it. And that's, did you, that's how it. did, how did you know those guys? How did you get connected with them? I think it all started. My first episode with them was we covered Ganja and Hess on, I can't remember which series it was. I, that must've been, I think we I, cut heads. I think yeah. It was their last season that they did. Yeah, I was going to so, say it must be with the 
sweet yeah, blood yeah. of the Jesus. The sweet, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. I mean, it was just internet friends. It's the same thing, how I met you guys. So just through through Twitter and yeah. the rest is history. You're a great person to talk about vampires movie with. I listened to your Dracula's Daughter episode and absolutely agree. Spanish Dracula. Superior so much better. To Todd so Browning, much better. 100%. I, yeah, every time someone, not not to be judgmental, but whenever people like, it's you have your favorites, it's fine. But when someone's like, Dracula's my favorite, I'm like, really? All right. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Even when yeah. Spanish Dracula's there. Um, there. The, look, I like Spanish Dracula better as well. The, the only flaw is that it's a worse Dracula itself. Oh, yeah. That they, you know, that's, that's well. the only argument not in its favor. But it's so much more beautifully shot to look at. Um, okay, that's it. Good night, everybody. <laughs> Thank you for everybody. having us on. Listen to Cinema Parlor. Listen to the Arbitrary Indiscriminate Movie Podcast. Did I get that title right? You sure did. Okay. You got it. And yeah, and and check out uh, Melanie on social media as well. And if I if you start DMing her, she'll form a podcast with you. Am I understanding correctly? Yeah, that's, that's how it I, works. That's what happens now. <laughs> At Plastic Werewolf, correct? That is correct. Thank Thanks you very again, much Melody. again. Thank you. Happy Valentine's Day, everybody. Thank you for having me on. <laughs> <laughs>